Hi to everybody, my name is Patrick McKenzie, perhaps better known as Patio11 on the internets. I'm a small software entrepreneur who has run a, a series of software services for the last six years. Uh, concurrent with that for the last couple of years, I've run a consulting business largely helping software companies make more money by delighting their users and increasing sales. And I'm here today with my friend Ramit Sethi to talk about how you can price your freelance or consulting offering better. Hey everybody, Ramit Sethi here. Patrick, thanks for having me. I am the creator of a site called IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com, and I also have a New York Times bestselling book by the same name. My background is in psychology and persuasion. I teach people how to use behavioral change principles to change their own behavior and to influence other people. That may mean learning how to automate your money, how to earn more money through negotiation or freelancing, or even to find your dream job. Uh, I give away about 98% of my material for free, and then I offer information products, also known as online courses, and uh, they tend to be premium prices, and they tend to be for the right customer. And today, really excited to talk about pricing, qualifying your customer, working with the right people, because God knows, I have contemplated suicide many, many times, thanks to the freeloaders who run rampant and wild on the internet. What do you say, Patrick? Yeah, um, so I have a word for them I've been calling for the last couple of years, pathological customers. The kind of customer that even if, technically speaking, they're giving you money, they are giving you less money than other folks in the space, and they feel a sense of entitlement towards you as a result of that. And the general thing that uh, people find both in pricing products and in pricing services is that at the low end of the scale, you deal with people who perceive less value from you, less value from your offering. They have more and more unreasonable demands, like you know, if you're pricing iPhone apps, this 99-cent flashlight app didn't do my taxes, one stars! <laughs> Or in a service business, if uh, you make the terrible decision to sell your engineering services for $3,000 a month to a Japanese megacorp, someone here might have, then you're going to have people with expectations like, oh, you should totally be willing to come in at 3 a.m. in the morning for nothing. Uh, versus if you get to a better point where customers are perceiving more value out of your services, there will be no talk of 3 a.m. in the morning and also no talk of any number in the general vicinity of $3,000 per month or anything else. Eh, that's a little bragging. Oh, well. Uh, yeah. We're going to uh, talk to you about not underpricing things. And in particular, I love Ramit's advice on this. It's really informed my thinking on the subject and helps me maybe 7x my consulting rates in like the last two years. Oh, I like that. I like the sound of that. Okay. Let me let me start off with a couple of thoughts on pricing. And some of these are uh, seem straightforward. And some of them seem a bit controversial. I'll say this. In terms of consulting rates, I have started my consulting career back when I was in college. I charged approximately $20 an hour. I now rarely do consulting. I turn down the vast majority of clients. And when I do charge, I charge $3,000 an hour. So I have gone up the gamut of consulting rates. And I'd like to share some of the findings and insights I had along the way. In terms of products, my first information product was a terribly priced, terribly positioned ebook called Ramit's 2007 Guide to Kicking Ass. That's right. And it was $4.95. Now, I had been writing for free on my blog. No ads, no nothing. This was the first thing I ever released. And predictably, the comments went something like this. Ramit, you jumped the shark. You're just trying to make money off us now. I can find this kind of stuff for free online. You suck. Okay, compare that to a recent course I launched which was $12,000, and compare it to another similar course, which was two dollars or $3,000, that course called Find Your Dream Job went out to over a million people heard about that course. And I can tell you exactly how many complaints I had about price because I tracked them. 
And the answer was five. Not 5%, five. <laughs> we learned how to change and radically become more sophisticated with our positioning. And so today I want to talk about how you can actually charge more, deliver more value, get better customers, and also choose who not to serve. And one thing I'll mention is that I have policies that cost me over $1 million a year because I don't want to serve certain parts of the market. And I'm going to tell you about those and tell you about how you can use some of the same principles to choose who you want to work with, charge more, get better clients, help them more, and actually not want to kill yourself every morning when you wake up and look at the kind of emails you have in your inbox. Mm -hmm. Patrick, yeah. you got those kind of clients? Um, largely, like I've had them in the past. I'm largely getting to a point in my business where I don't have to deal with them anymore. So there's spectrums within spectrums here, right? Like my first software product was priced for $24.95 by it once. And that's something I will never, ever actually do again. But <laughs> it came in and there were probably like six competing software products. I think on the very day I launched, I was the second most expensive. And I had a fairly manageable support load with that product, even though the users are very non-technical. And I occasionally get uh, emails that make me want to gouge my eyes out with a spoon, like... Um, how do I download the Googles to my printer? What? That's a reasonable <laughs> to your printer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you had me until you said printer. Okay, oh, that is ridiculous. So, <laughs> I, I truly there is a part a position in my heart that I really love the kind of, the teachers who are using this product. So I say this from a position of love. I've had to convince people that there are not two physically distinct internets entitled the blue Googles and the green Googles and that they can use their login on my website regardless of whether they're on the blue Googles or the green Googles. And that, believe it or not, any site that you can reach from the blue Googles is available on the green Googles as well. So it turns out that this particular customer had, like, they had IE open at school to MSN and IE open at home to Google. And they did not realize that Microsoft and Google were not the same company. So it was, A, the blue Googles and the green Googles because the Googles is the internet to them. And when they type stuff into the box, they got different results. And their natural inclination for why does this strange devil box work in different ways was, oh, they must be two different devil boxes. So, yeah, um, I deal with very few people like that these days. Um, you know, the next time I make a software business, that will intentionally not include that sort of client in the scope of it. But I feel like there are, there are certain types of people who have really dark senses of humor. And they tend to be um, people who, like, work in the dark or deal with the general public at large. These people include radiologists. Mm -hmm. They include anyone who deals in video. And of course, engineers or in particular, system administrators. Uh -huh. God bless you all <laughs> for still existing on this earth, despite the kind of things you have to put up with every day. Uh, well, I think honestly, uh, sometimes we could stand to learn a little bit more from the non-technical customers, particularly about how we, get, we pitch them on uh, the value of our services because we yeah. always pitch them as tech services rather than as solving an actual problem they have in their lives. Uh, yeah. But okay, we so talked let's... about that plenty on the last, last video. Let's talk about how we can work up our prices to get better customers who are happy to pay the amount of money that we're actually worth. Yes. So first of all, in general, we can just stipulate that the basic message of this call is if you charge more and deliver more value, you're going to get better customers and have better outcomes. Okay, that seems fairly obvious. So the question is, why don't we do it? Just like it seems obvious that we all know we need to work out more, we need to eat better, we need to manage our money, we need to call our mom more, all those are obvious, they're axiomatic. So why don't we do it? And primarily one of the biggest reasons is our own psychological barriers. 
when it comes to pricing, we are afraid of charging more for all the reasons that I myself went through. When I first charged, I was truly petrified. And you can actually see it. I'll direct you to the page. Go search for Ramit's 2007 Guide to Kicking Ass. You can actually see the fear in my copy. My copy was rudimentary. It was pedestrian. I even justified why I had to charge. Do you know when I charge for a 12 or 3 or 4 or 5 or $10,000 course? I don't justify that. I tell the people who I don't want to leave. And I let the rest come and bubble up to the top. So you have to understand that if you make an amazing product and you've tested it and you know it will help, it is your obligation to get it out to the market as aggressively as possible. Now, if you have a shitty product, you're trying to pull the wool over someone's eyes, or you haven't tested it at all, then of course it's going to come across as fearful because it should be. You don't know if your product is good or not. If I know my product is good, if I had tested results, it's my obligation to get it out to the market. So here are some of the fears I went through when I was first charging. I'm scared of finding out that people won't pay for this product that I spent 12 months building. I'm scared of making them mad and them calling me a sellout. And my favorite one, which is exclusively the paradigm of engineers, is if I have customers who pay me, then I'm going to have to offer customer support. That is seriously the most crackpot, crazy thing I've ever heard. If you have people paying you, money solves many problems, including hiring a customer support rep to deal with your customers who, by the way, because they pay you, will actually ask for less support than your free users. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Patrick? That is absolutely the truth. Very relevant to people here who run products. You can actually like draw a graph versus uh, um, whether someone is a free user or a paid user of the product and see the support request decline. Like uh, I have four tiers for one product of mine. The level of uh, support requests per account in the various tiers go like the cheapest has like 7x more support requests than the one at the top end. The second cheapest, which is uh, no longer all that cheap, uh, is like 4x. The second most expensive is like 3x, and then the most expensive is x. Um, They get more sophisticated about their use of the software. They have more internal resources that they can ask questions about. Versus, you know, how do I reset my password or the internets aren't working? Can you give me back the internet? Uh, that sort of thing. And they and the kind of questions they ask are actually really good. Like, you know, we're using this to create business value for our business. Um, we have this scenario that we don't know how to work with in your tool. Can you explain to us how we can do that to get the next big kick for our business? So I'd yeah. much rather answer that email than I forgot my password. Can you reset it again? The like find account box didn't work for me, uh, which, you know, uh, they didn't type it right, anyhow. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you know one one thing that I, I learned, and I oh, oh, go go ahead. So you talked about mispricing your first product at four dollars ninety five cents, and how it was partially out of like a fear of charging people money for value. The first time I ever consciously started working on consulting was um, I went to visit a business friend of mine in Chicago uh, over Christmas one year, and uh, the the only thing on the agenda was we were getting coffee. A couple minutes into the coffee date, he locked me in a conference room with him and uh, one of the co-founders of the company and said, hey, we just want to ask you some questions about this stuff that you do in terms of uh, search engine optimization, conversion rate optimization, that sort of thing, because I love talking about this stuff. We talked straight for the next three hours. And then he said something that like literally life-changing words to me at the end of that. He said, I just want you to know that if today had not been a coffee date, you could have charged for this conversation and I would be pulling out my checkbook right now and writing you a check for it. Mm-hmm. And I asked, I was a young engineer. I had this mental model that a young engineer's time is worth a hundred dollars an hour. And that's like an iron law of nature. And I said, 
Well, honestly, three hundred dollars, you know, three three hours times a hundred bucks an hour doesn't really feel like a motivational amount of money to me over Christmas. Why would I, you know, I I don't know even know if I would have been comfortable doing that. I I had all these reasons why that why that wouldn't be right. And he says, no, nah, I think I've gotten $15,000 of value out of this. I would write you a check for $15,000 right now. He asks his co-founder, do you think $15,000 is about right? His co-founder says, well, I don't know about $15,000. I'm like, oh, thank God, sanity. And his co-founder <laughs> said, for $15,000, I need to see like a printed report about it too. But 5000 yeah, we could pay that out of the petty cash. Blew my mind. But yeah. if you are genuinely creating value for businesses, you are no longer in the trade defined small units of time for defined small units of money business model like the vast majority of employees are and that you've probably been in for most of your life. You're suddenly judged against the price of other strategic initiatives and amounts of money that like mind blowing to an individual human's personal experience are nothing next to what a business does for even the most trivial things. I mean... You know, Ramit, you run a pretty uh, motivationally sized business yourself. You've probably spent more on, um, I don't know, uh, website hosting in the last year than my Hacker News buddies could count on spending for next century. <laughs> you know, um, I for me, it's, it's very simple. Um, it's not about cost. It's about value. So let me just tell you all the things I don't want to do as a non-technical guy. I don't want to understand how web hosting works. I don't care. Just make it work. I don't want to understand how security works, and I certainly don't want to, you know, read textbooks about it. I don't want to get paged when I'm out to the bar on a Friday night. I don't want to do all these things. I only want to do a few things. Let me pay for the rest. And listen, you can find clients who are willing to pay. They're the ones whose businesses are already doing relatively well, and they want to do better. Or you can go after bottom feeders who are going to try to negotiate you at every single turn. They'll question the value of what you're doing. They'll say, can I get it cheaper? Can't you do this? Can't you do that? Those are not the clients you want. All right? And we've talked about how to find those. We'll talk about those in a future call as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to pricing, you know, again, we've talked about the main axiom we're covering today, which is deliver a better product, charge more, find the right customers, and everybody wins. That's how you. That's how you can go from thinking that oh, I'm only a hundred dollar an hour engineer, to actually charging gargantuan amounts. But more importantly, delivering gargantuan value. Mm -hmm. There's a couple people who have influenced me. I'll share one. Uh, one is Jay Abraham, who talks about. He was. He's a very very famous marketing consultant, particularly from the '80s. He's one of my mentors, and he's talked about putting the client at the center of everything you do. One of his books called "Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got" made me six figures in one month. Okay, And then I got on his email list after buying his $10 book and making six figures in a month. And let me just tell you how I paid Jay a lot of money. I got on his email list. He then told, he announced that he was having a course where you would have to fly out to L.A. once a month for 15 months. I live in New York. And you'd have to apply. You'd have to get your references checked. And by the way, if you doubled your revenue during that time period, you'd have to write him a big fat check. You know what I said? I said, I'll do anything to be in this course. Mm -hmm. And I applied. I haven't written an application like that since college. I had him call my references. I met him. And here's what I paid for. I paid thousands a month to fly to LA on my own dime, sit in a chair next to him, and ask him questions for 45 minutes. 45 minutes a month, I paid him thousands. That investment alone, notice I called it an investment, not a cost. That investment alone has already paid off in multiples of what I paid. 
So these are the customers. You want to find the customers who look at the, the, the thing you're charging for, the, the service or product you're delivering as an investment. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't just have to be ROI financially, although that's the easiest to justify. It could be, look, I'm sick and tired of having to wake up in the morning and do all these tasks. I want an assistant. That's ROI for me. Um, it could be to take away fear. I fear that my data is going to be lost. Therefore, you have solved my problem by giving me a RAID storage or cloud storage or whatever it is you want to do. So understanding what it is and who your customer is, which we've covered before and we'll cover again, that can help you determine your price. And just in general, then you want to look at the band of pricing that you have available to you. And you want to think, am I in that band? Can I be higher than that band? And what do I want to format my pricing at? Do I want to charge hourly, weekly, et cetera? So Patrick, why don't we talk about working for free? Mm -hmm. And then also you and I somewhat disagree on how to quote our rates. So let's talk about that as well. What do you think about free work? So this is largely from the perspective that we're talking about uh, uh, technologists here. And if you aren't aware of it already, the market for people uh, across most of the United States and increasingly other parts of the world who who can successfully execute on technology projects is just absolutely on fire right now. Like um, it's if you've heard the whole software is eating the world thesis, it means that the, the people on the top of the food chain right now are the people who can get software to do what they want and particularly do what they want and solve business problems with it. So if that is you, the world is your oyster, and there's no reason you need to give away the pearls for free. But I understand that there's you know other people in the world who might just be getting started or not be comfortable with that, who might actually benefit from building a portfolio of a project or two delivered for free. I might say that you know if you put a gun to my head and gun to my head and said you're doing a project for free, get value out of it. I might think of telling the client, okay, look, um, as a prerequisite of doing this project for free, I'd like the ability to turn it into a case study that I can put in my blog and put in my portfolio and shop around that case study and that uh, social proof of value to other clients. You, know, you this company that uh, people have respect for, entrusted this part of your business to me. Therefore, they should also feel that it's less risky for them to entrust a part of the business to me. I love um, that. So that's a big thing, by the way. Like clients... Clients pay for two things in the main, either increasing revenue or reducing costs, but they'll also pay in a very direct way for trust and for the perception of reduced risk. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that allows you to increase your rates over time is think of it that any like there is a tremendous fear in every client's mind when they get into a new technology project or in any kind of project, really, that the project is just going to totally blow up and they get no value out of it. And so they discount the rate that they're paying to you, the like maximum rate they think they can afford to pay you by the chance of the project totally blowing up. So if a client thinks that, okay, the last five times I hired a tech guy, I only got one project that actually created any value out of that, he's probably going to discount the rate that he could pay you by about 80%. But if his perception is that, you know, you're not an you're not a like 20% chance of success guy, you're a 95% chance of success guy then it's worth paying you much, much more than he would pay the 20% chance of success guy. Just for that feeling that you're more likely to actually deliver on this product, even if the business value you are claiming is the same as the other guy, and even if uh, maybe the other guy even is technically superior to you. And there's ways that you can influence that perception of uh, likely success. One is by being able to actually communicate what you're doing better than the typical engineer can. Um, You know, if you're talking about raid arrays and... uh, performance optimization, the header, and all that fun stuff that we really perceive a lot of value from, that, but often business folks don't perceive value from. You're sort of losing him versus uh, talking about, 
okay, here's other people in the industry that I've worked with. Here were their problems. Here are your problems that I know because you're in this industry, you have as well. Here's how we can align our work together such that it influences these core things that you care about in your business. Then he's thinking, he gets it. He can talk with me. When I have a problem, I can talk to him and get it fixed rather than like that other guy I worked with where I sent off an email and didn't get a response for two weeks. And then it was like a two line, okay, I rebooted the server. (laughs) What you're talking about, I love it. It's really understanding the client's hopes, fears, and dreams in many ways better than they understand it themselves. You know, with my students, I want to be like the wife who knows her husband better than he knows himself. But she can predict what he's going to say. And we know this from research. People will be reading my sales page and they will say, like, they're about to have an objection. Oh, well, that, d- does that work? Because I live in a different country. And right as they're about to consciously think that, they're scrolling down the page and they see, yes, this works for international students. In fact, here are 10 from the UK, Spain, everywhere. And wh- what do they think after that happens two or three times? They think, this guy understands me. He gets me. And it is so rare in today's day and age that someone understands you that you will pay almost anything. I'll give you an example. Let's say you, okay, put yourself in the mind of a, a 30, let's say a 30-year-old young woman living in Manhattan. She's shopping at, let's say, Nordstrom.com. And she sees this shirt and it looks incredible. And she says, oh. And she clicks it to enlarge it. And she sees a model wearing it who, who's like 27, 28. Looks just like her walking on the street with her purse. She says, yeah. And then she clicks the next button. And she sees another photo, but this time it's some 16-year-old girl who's got like a punk look to her wearing the same shirt. Then she clicks the next button, and she sees a 78-year-old grandmother wearing the same shirt. What's the first thing she does? She closes the window. Because in a world where something isn't made exactly for you, in a world of infinite options, if it's not made for us, if it doesn't speak our language, if it doesn't speak to my hopes, fears, and dreams, I'm gone. And so when you can actually do that, when you can deliver that, Pricing really becomes a mere triviality. Right. And that is how, you know, that's how my, my competitors will often charge $49 for an ebook and I'll charge $3,000. Now, is my course better? Yes. Not only does it have more in it, it's tested with thousands and thousands of people. But selling a $3,000 information product is difficult no matter what, no matter if you have 80, 80 terabytes of video. It's about understanding the customer and client better than they understand themselves. Right. And, um, Let's circle back to a point you just made. So the notion that the notion that a particular product is not right for other people is a very powerful one in sales. You know, when you're doing client qualification, which we'll be talking about in the next talk, you are explicitly telling people that, look, um, I only work with people who stand to get a lot of value out of doing business with me, and I stand to get value out of uh, doing business with them. And it's entirely possible that we might not be the best fit for each other. So... Um, for example, if X Y or X Y or Z is true, maybe we are we just you know shouldn't do this, and I can recommend someone who's better suited to your needs. When you when you say something like that, when you tell people that you know you're upright and ethical and would rather turn down perhaps a motivational amount of money right now just because it won't be the best thing for them, if they hear that, okay, I wouldn't work with people whose situation was X or Y or Z. But when I'm listening to your needs, you seem to be like totally in the sweet zone. We should do this. They'll be like, oh, hell yes. Um, yes. Let me give an example of that. Uh, and so these days when I'm talking to a new company, basically if they're not a software company, I'm not interested. Uh, I do I do a lot of stuff. There's there's like no one, one thing that I do in my consulting practice. I guess you could call it rent my brain and I make you money. 
But I previously worked with clients that I didn't understand as well as the software industry that I couldn't have that feeling of customer connectedness when I was talking about them, like the uh, company that I said, you know, hypothetically they sell high-end men's shirts. I don't really, I don't really understand the market for high-end men, men's shirts. People in that market don't naturally, and people who have made high-end men's shirts their life work don't naturally feel uh, simpatico with me when we sit down at the table and start talking about things. Whereas software, man, I love software. I can get everybody at a software company, whether they're the marketer or the CEO or the head of engineering, I can talk to them where, where they are and they will feel this guy is someone who, you know, I want in the foxhole with me when we're doing this next project. So, you know, when we start starting to get the know you dance on the client, I just say, uh, look, there's been, I've had uh, client relationships in the past that have been very successful generally when I'm selling a software product and specifically generally when that software product is sold uh, to businesses. Um, if your company is primarily interested in increasing their B2C sales, that probably isn't the best fit for us. I have some ideas on how you could take that forward, but really you're going to get your really big wins that I've uh, delivered. You know, the last time I got a 20 to 100% increase in revenue was when the uh, parameters of the client were X, Y, and Z. Um, does that sound like what, you know, where you, you are and the sort of expectations you have with regard to an engagement? And since I have presumably looked, you know, I am capable of using the Googles. I've presumably uh, learned by now what their core product offering is. At this point, they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. That sounds right. Yeah, yeah. 20 to 100% yeah. <laughs> sounds pretty good. So the, one of the key takeaways that I'm hearing here, and I want to highlight it for everyone, is study people who have mastered pricing. It's remarkable to me how many startup websites you go to, and it says plans and pricing, and you click on it, and it says $9 a month oh. for whatever thing. And Patrick and I, just the little we have remaining in our souls dies and leaving us a vacuous void of what used to be uh, human beings. And it, it's actually sad because, first of all, just mathematically, it's almost impossible to create a serious business on $9 a month because those companies, they never actually run the models. They never actually say, hey, wait a minute, with customer churn and LTV and all these things, how can I ever justify $9 a month? You can't. It's very difficult. And by the way, we all know the first dollar problem. Getting people to spend $1 is the problem. If you can get them to spend $1 and you have a, a very, very uh, good product, you can get them to spend 10 You can get them to spend 100 Now, there are different gradations. Like for me, there's a taxonomy in my market of information products, ebooks. You can charge roughly 27 to 47 Ebooks plus video, 47 to 97 Video courses, 497 to 997 But And there's this taxonomy that exists. Yes, it it's exists and it's real, but you can always, it's malleable. You can move things around and, and you know that if I want to charge, uh, create a $1,000 product, this is what I'm going to have to do. Now, I love understanding that, that, go ahead. I love that point about the taxonomy of value because I think that, um, and we were talking uh, earlier and we have different charging models. Um, so I often try to quote things as weekly rates, which are roughly aligned to business goals. In a particular week, we'll be able to get X, Y, and Z accomplished, which accomplishes a meaningful result for the business. Um, the reason I quote weekly rates is that I feel that people have a taxonomy of value for how much one hour is worth. And if you quote hourly rates, things that, you know, engineers figure, okay, a week is 40 hours, so they're mathematically comparable to each other. Why would this ever give us pause? But I think people have a taxonomy of value in that an hour is worth, well, okay, two figures, maybe low three figures at the high end where the equivalent amount of hours balled up into a project and put against a business goal occupies a different taxonomy. 
if you're in the taxonomy of strategic initiatives that can increase my business's sales in the next year from 20 to 100%, that is not priced against the okay, uh, low, the high two-figure, low three-figure rate for our right. wages. What we know in marketing is, you know, for example, there's a reason why the maximum you can get for an ebook is roughly $97. And because of sort of the race to the bottom on Amazon pricing, um, people often say an ebook, that should just be $13. Why should I charge? Why should you charge more? That is why marketers add video to the equation because it's difficult to compare an ebook plus video. There's no comparison. However, don't let this immediately uh, make you think that this is a scam. It's not like these marketers are just trying to get one over you. Virtually every information product out there has a money-back guarantee. For me, you can take my entire course, which costs thousands of dollars depending on what course you join, and if you don't like it, just ask for a refund and I give you all your money back, even the credit card processing fees. Why? Because I have to prove myself, and so do most of us. Um, with, with engineers, it works a little differently. You prove yourself up front, and then you probably have milestones. There's rarely a sort of a money-back guarantee, although that's something you could experiment with as well. But the point is, when you're, pri- when you're pricing your service or product, make it congruent with the market. So, Patrick, you know that your customers, have, you know, they care about on a weekly basis, what are their goals, how much are they allocating, and stuff like that. And you properly priced it as a result like that. For my students who are doing often freelancing, hourly is a good way to get their feet wet, but most my most sophisticated people then use other strategies like retainer models mm-hmm. and packages and things like that. That's how you can really get really rapid growth in terms of revenue and pricing. Mm-hmm. So main things for everyone here to listen to are, you know, you have to deliver a better product or result than anyone else. Without that, you can't put lipstick on a pig. Two, make sure that you're charging as high as you can to find the right customers. Now, if I were Target, I wouldn't charge $500 for a scarf because no one would pay it. However, if I'm Barney's, you better believe I'm charging $500. And it is strategic. The type of people that walk into a Barney's are very different than the people that walk into a Target. And finally, run some goddamn numbers. If you're charging $8 a month for your product and you think that that's going to make you, you know, a very healthy lifestyle, just run the numbers. Factor in churn, factor in cancellations, and factor in support costs and realize that that's a very difficult way. If you can charge 8, maybe you can make a better product and charge 57 yeah. or 97. So, admission against interest. I actually helped other companies figure out pricing strategies a bunch a lot. And even knowing that charging $9 is a stupid amount for a business, I succumbed to my engineer weakness last time I launched a uh, software as a service <laughs> company and had a $9 personnel plan at the bottom. And I'll tell you exactly what my self-serving justification was for putting that $9 a month plan there. I thought that I would get blog articles out of productivity bloggers if I had something that would appeal to their needs. And A, total fail- failure. Never got one single blog article out of a productivity blogger about it. B, I refused to admit that I was a failure and kept that plan up there for a year and had ungodly support headaches, made, man, uh, that entire pricing tier made like less one, less money than individual other clients on the higher, on the higher tiers. <laughs> and, oh, you don't even want to hear about the got called at 3 a.m. in the morning Japan time because the text on the website is gray. I think it would look better black. And I emailed you about that 20 minutes ago, but you didn't respond. So I figured I would call you in Japan at 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh Customer support issues. Ah, yeah, don't underprice your stuff. Same with, uh, yeah. with services. You will get the most demanding clients at 
uh, when you're underpricing or when, God forbid, you're trying to compete with people on Elance or the other freelancer sites. People, someone asked me why I'm not on Elance, and I'm like, well, I don't want to compete with the people on Elance and the customers that uh, that are really in my wheelhouse and get a lot of value out of working with me would run screaming if they saw me on Elance. Um, for the same That's reason right. that, you know, uh, sorry, what was that high fashion place that is not Target that I don't had ever heard about? Barney's. Barney's. <laughs> Barney's. Like, if you were, if you were a, you know, you're some sort of fashion house that's trying to make a name for yourself, and you go to Barney's and you say, "Look, we can get our scarves made in China, so we can afford to sell them for you for five dollars, and you can like put them on your tables for ten dollars." The buyer for Barney's is going to say, "Oh." Hell no. We're, we're not interested in that at all. We don't care if it's like the reincarnation of some famous designer and some other famous designer who had a love child, someone who understands fashion. Please put in names for me here. But <laughs> it just it would do so much damage to their brand and to their perceived uh, positioning in the market being available for $10 that it is not even worth picking up that revenue for them. Similarly, right. if like, you know, you can price it for free or you can price it for dear, but never price it for cheap. You will just have lots of headaches, and it makes life difficult both with that customer and with any other customer who ever hears of that relationship. Wow. Okay, so Patrick, you just said something that everybody needs to hear again. Um, and this was taught to me by my mentor, Jay Abraham, as well. My students were clamoring for a low price product because um, I do, I'll, I'll cover this in the qualification talk, but I don't allow people with credit card debt to join my flagship or very expensive courses. That decision alone cost me over $1 million a year but it's the right thing to do. And so people were saying, hey, can you give me something low price? How about something around $9 or maybe $20? And I asked Jay, you know, what would you do? The market is, is begging for this. And he said, you know what? If I were you, I would actually just create something incredible and I would give it away for free. Mm -hmm. And I would make sure that I tell them why. And I did something very similar. I actually interviewed another one of my mentors, BJ Fogg. I spent 16 hours preparing for that call. And I read my old textbooks and I pulled up my notes and we had a great call about behavior change. And then I wrote an email to my list and I said, guys, this interview is incredible and I'm giving it to you free. But I want to tell you something. I could charge $1,000 for this interview. I would easily sell it. But instead, I'm investing in you. And I want you to take it seriously. Treat it like a $1,000 product. Close your computer, turn off all your other stuff and really treat it with respect. Treat it like a $1,000 purchase because that's what it is. And the response was incredible. Mm -hmm. The point here is do not try to serve everybody and also decide what market you want to play in. Mm -hmm. You want to play in the high-end market? Then just give away your stuff for free at the low end and make sure people know why you're doing that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and overall, as Patrick said, your pricing is strategic. Your pricing will communicate to the market what type of clients and customers you're willing to put up with and what kind you want. Right. Um, somebody... You know, I turn down potential client work all the time. Uh, often if, you know, I, the sort of minimum engagement for me, and I've only broken this maybe once or twice is, uh, and for strategic reasons, there were actually good strategic reasons. So the minimum amount of time you can buy for me is a week because I just don't want it to deal with the overhead of selling a uh, one hour, two hour engagement. And that immediately prices me way out of the heck of 80% of the people in the space, probably more. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'll often get emails, you know, inquiring about my my hourly rates and uh, what it would cost to get me on a phone call for an hour or two. And I say, look, I'm not available for formal consulting for an hour or two because I love this space and because I like helping out bootstrapped entrepreneurs. If there is time available in the schedule, I will be happy to call and to uh, get on a Skype chat with you or whatever. We'll talk. I'll give you some ideas 
and then I'll point you to the right blog posts, and then you can go execute on those. But I am not going to be the one in charge of your marketing for you know what you think an hour would be worth. And if I quoted them a rate yeah. for an hour, they'd think, oh God, that's an insane amount of money. So right. Right. and in addition to that uh, being a karma-inducing thing, uh, there's occasionally knockout effects where somebody told that in one context will uh, mention that they got really, really good results to someone who does have the uh, resources to pay for a week of my time. I can't tell you what clients that's gotten me in the door with, but uh, you know their names. <laughs> Love it. All right, so Patrick, let's wrap here. Um, mm-hmm. Where can people find you? What's your URL and what will they find there? So I'm at uh, www.calzumius, K-A-L-Z-U-N-U-S.com slash blog for my blog. It's mostly about uh, topics of making and selling software. Um, it's generally what I'm talking about in any given blog post is whatever I've been working on recently. If you want a more structured sort of deep dive into things, go to training.calzumius.com and uh, you know, there will be a video on uh, improving the user experience of the first run of your software. So anyone who makes software or serves clients or customers would be really well served to check out Patrick's stuff. It's, it's very much similar to I Will Teach in the sense that I Will Teach seems like it's a money blog, but it actually has very little to do with money. It's about psychology. It's about understanding people. It's about improving your communication. And so I love reading it. You know, I don't build software. I build information products. But I love reading your stuff, Patrick, because you really dig into um, test results, data, and my most favorite of all is you dig into why people behave the way they do. Mm-hmm. Why do they chronically undercharge even though they quote know that they should charge more? Why, why do they think that technical skills matter most mm-hmm. when in business mm, that's questionably true? And why do, they not, why do they not trust things that have worked in other industries like marketing for years and years? So I love the way that you, you show your own test data. You communicate it beautifully to engineers and it happens to you know, communicate beautifully to me as well. So thanks for putting up your site. Uh, I'll share my site as well. Um, I put up a special giveaway for people listening here. It's IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com slash Calzumius-Pricing. Again, IWillTeachYouToBeRich.com slash K-A-L-Z-U-M-E-U-S-Pricing. And that's a mini course on pricing that should help you really change the way you think about pricing. And again, how I went from charging $4.95 for one product to $12,000 for a recent product with a dramatic fall in complaints and whiny freeloaders. Yeah, Hopefully that helps you guys. And just to give a quick little mini, mini testimonial for a meet here, we had dinner a couple of uh, years ago. He gave me some advice on, on pricing my consulting services. And for a variety of reasons, I never quote my rate publicly, uh, largely because it goes up all the time. And I never want to have my own rate quoted against me as evidence that I should <laughs> give up negotiating positions. But um, it went up hugely as a result of some of the advice he gave and how you position the rates in the context of your discussion with the client. And you can not possibly waste your time listening to him on that subject. Appreciate it, Patrick. All right, we'll talk soon. Right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.